I think we now have Tom on the line. So it's good morning to you, Tom Grant from uh, Steve Panel. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing really good, Richard. There you go. It it is a shame that the listeners can't see the lovely back shot of what I saw before. You're on the the beach. I figured it was the best place to do something like this, Richard. Mornings on the beach on Sunday with the dog. It's uh, the best place. Right, oh, nice and relaxed. I'm where are you? Aldinger Beach? Which beach are you at? No, I'm actually on Brighton Beach, um, which is uh, a beautiful spot uh, in um, not well, sort of not dissimilar to Melbourne's Brighton Beach. But okay. Without the, little, without the little huts on it, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, okay. the huts are a they are a, a hallmark of that particular beach. They so, are. Are. so I've I've introduced you from SC Panel and the Grenache. So before we get mm. into the the panel stuff, I want to talk about Grenache, and mm. I want to just have a little. I've got a little quote from James Halliday here. It says. Um, <laughs> Grenache is a many splendid thing and has found its home away from home in South Australia's temperate regions, the epicentre halfway between the Barossa and McLaren Vale regions. It lends itself to a wide spectrum of winemakers' philosophies and the techniques that they use to bring the wine to your mouth. There's no right or wrong, no one true path in this, thanks to its ability to blend with a wide range of cuisines. Now, my friend Ewan introduced me to you online as the Grenachist, and that, that was mind-blowing when I met you at a tasting recently, and that was you. What is it about Grenache, Tom? What is it about Grenache? Um, I first fell in love with Grenache when I moved... It, no, I was living in Japan at the time, and right. I couldn't afford... I could afford Burgundy because it wasn't that expensive, but I found I could more inclined to go and buy things from the Rhone. And then I returned to Australia in the late 90s and um, met a guy called David Burkett who, who had just started out with Vintage and Vine and Pound. I think it was ah. 1999 yep. and um, struck up a really good friendship with him and uh, tried a lot of French Grenache and that intrigued me and then kept on going and I think Sardinia popped up on my on, on my radar. Uh, uh, yes. Spanish Grenache popped up on my radar. But I didn't really have anything to do with Australian Grenache because it, at the time, in the in the early noughties, there just weren't late nineties, early noughties. There just weren't a lot of producers banging that drum. You yeah. know, you had Turkey Flat doing some really good things in the mid nineties, especially you know nineteen ninety, oh, what is it, nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. Yep. Grenache from Turkey Flat, Grenache Noir. I remember it. Yep. It was exceptional. Um, there was a little bit of stuff happening through Clarendon Hills and Roman Brataswick. Um, Chester Osborne had done a bit of varietal Grenache. I'm talking varietal Grenache at that yeah, point. Yeah, straight Grenache, yeah. Um, and there, but there just wasn't a lot, you know. Most of it was being blended away or disappearing. I mean, <laughs> you'll, you'll never believe that um, the, the, the highest selling sparkling wine in Australia at the time was Omni, Omni Brut, and I, I, I believe it was actually based on Grenache Noir as the base white wine. Can you no believe way. that? Um, so, you know, it was it was a time for Grenache then, but I was intrigued by it and I wanted to know more yeah. about Australian Grenache. And it just so happened that there were a few other producers that were starting to explore it a bit more, like Steve. Yes. Um, and and I found the style that were coming out of that was coming out of McLaren Vale more to my taste. So. It, it, it just lent, it went from there, really. And, um, you know, I think it's just such a wonderful grape variety that expresses place and season better than anything else that we do in McLarenville. Now, that's only speaking of McLarenville. I don't think it applies to everywhere. I think I've had some great Grenaches from Heathcote. I think um, the Jas- there was a Jasper Hill Grenache, believe it or not, once upon a time, uh, that was grown on Mount Carmel and it burnt in a fire and they never made it again. 
Um, shout out to Ron Lawton. Um, yes. But um, that was that was, you know, there were some really good ones played around the place, and now it seems that everybody wants to play with it. I think that's <laughs> that's the most exciting thing. About yes, it. it's, it's it's right in the zeitgeist at the moment, isn't it? It is. We are. We have created. Um, I like to think that I might have had a very, very small part in creating some interest and excitement in Grand Grenache, and um, that's that, that. That's just so cool. It is cool, and you know, you can. The, the thing about, as you said, the affordability of it. Now, not all Grenaches are twenty bucks, and there are some very good premium Grenache in Australia. Uh, Sands of Time, for instance, from Thistledown, I think. And Pete yep. Fraser obviously does some pretty good gear, but you yep. know. At around that sort of twenty to thirty dollar mark, we're right in the butter zone, and that's actually where the Basso wine sits, isn't it? So that's that's, that's the right, yeah. yeah. So tell us a bit about about that particular wine. Well, Basso project came about. If you, well, you remember that, oh, I should probably say this on radio. There's too many people are listening, maybe. <laughs> um, but that that vineyard, uh, there was a vineyard that I was that we used for that. Uh, we didn't own that vineyard. Right. Um, it's in McLaren Vale on in McLaren Flat. Yep. Or sort of around McLaren Flat. Um, and, uh, you know, it had been, uh, was, was yielding very heavily. So, you know, you had double cord and water right. turned Su- on. Super overcropping sort of stuff. Super overcropping, yeah. 20 times for the hectare. Oh, okay. Just ridiculous sort of thing. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, we went through, we cut the cord and back to a single cord and turned off the water and brought it back to about eight times for the hectare. And um, there was an idea bubbling away that we could create a low-sulphur Grenache. Now, Steve had been playing with low-sulphur since the mid-'90s when he was with um, uh, Napstein. There's some Napstein Pinot from, with low-sulphur yep. years ago from, uh, that, that is still in really good condition, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we had this idea that because of Grenache's na- natural TA and pH more particularly, uh, and abundance of tannin, natural tannin, naturally derived tannin. Yes, yes. That potentially this thing could preserve itself without the use of sulfur. So, Grenache, we, but, but we had to put it into a very large vat. You know, it was very, very large format oak at that point in time, so yep. that the ingress of oxygen is really slowed down, and mm-hmm. you've got a large surface area, a large volume of surface area. And what we then found was that we found that we could make this lovely, sort of bright highly aromatic, lower in alcohol, reasonably high pH, reasonably low pH, etc. Um, and it would preserve itself. And, and that 2017 came out, and that just happened to go on and win the Stoddart Trophy in Brisbane at the Brisbane Wine Show, which right. was their wine of show. Yeah. We shocked all of us. It was the first <laughs> yeah. for a vineyard that was cropping at 20 tonnes per hectare and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it just sort of showed the way with us with Grenache and uh, further um, showed what we could do with low sulfur and what we could do with large vats, et cetera, et cetera. And that's dictated in some way a lot of the style that we make today. So Basso is really, really important to everything that we do. Yeah. Yep. It's, a, it's, a, it's our gateway Grenache is what I like to think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to think Grenache in general is a great gateway drug from Shiraz drinkers to Pinot Noir in a way because it's kind of... You know, it's touching both spheres. Um, and, of course, it's its own thing as well. But, you know, for me, I just love the flavours of it and it's so versatile, as, as Mr Halliday was saying there, you know. It's, a, it, it's great with Lebanese food. It's really good with spicy foods. It's really good with – you can have it with fish. It's just a versatile grape, isn't it? Yeah, it goes across all sorts of uh, cuisines, all sorts of uh, food styles. 
um, and all, all sorts of occasions too. I mean, Buffo just you know in the middle of summer you put a bit of a chill on it and it's actually exceptional. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think Grenache can do that. It, Grenache is very much its own thing, and yeah. we have, you know, we'll we'll rail against and beat our chests and say never compare it to Pinot Noir. It is not. No. Um, it is not, you know, poor man's Pinot Noir. It is not, no, um, no, not everything that Pinot Noir promises Grenache delivers. We certainly try and we within ourselves at, at Pinel don't try and say that. We no. try and say, no, no, Grenache is very much its own thing. Get used to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're, yeah, that's, maybe that's going out too far perhaps for some, but it definitely it's very much its own thing. No, and I think there's some good stuff, you know, if you look at what the artisans guys are doing in the Barossa, for instance, to have their, yep. their single barrel project, you know, so yep. six or seven wines coming off the same block and just interpreting it in a different way. I, yes. I, I found that just so fascinating, you know, and it yeah. really does show winemaking. I guess it's that thing, that technique versus terroir sort of thing, isn't it, you know? Yeah, I mean, for us, Grenache, we try and take the technique out of it. I think Steve, yeah. if he had the opportunity to take his name off the front label, would do it. Yeah. Um, because it's it's we 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 believe, and it, this is very much within Pinel, I suppose, and yeah. and no, there's others that do that. That it has to be more about place than person. We've been yeah. talk, talking about people for far too long. Yes. Um. So that's what we believe. So place is the more important thing. So we have a couple of single vineyard Grenaches, one called Old MacDonald, one called Smart, that always get very high you know, accolades and what have you. We've got yeah. another one coming out next year from a, a vineyard we now own in Blewett Springs with 100-plus-year-old Grenache oh, bush vines on it. Now you're talking. Um, so, you, you know, you, you, it's, Grenache just speaks of where it grows from better than any other grape variety in McLaren Vale, yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, it just it shouts loudly of what it is, where it's grown. Whether that be at you know the smart vineyard, which is two thirty meters above sea level, versus the old McDonald vineyard that's eighty, it just and the soils are different <laughs> yeah. and everything, but we make them exactly the same way. But you sometimes you just can't tell that, you know, are they the are they, are they the same grape variety? Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's made, and that's the yeah, beauty yeah. of it. So to remove the wine making and let the place speak is the whole idea. Yeah, fascinating stuff. So I've got uh, Tom Grant here on the line, um, also known as the Grenachist or Grenachist. So we've just been talking about Grenache, but, you know, you work with Steve Pannell. Um, mm. So before we get to the SC Pannell stuff, like what's your, how, you know, you said you've lived in Japan and a few places. How, how did you get going in the industry? Um, I fell, I think. Um, <laughs> I think we all did. I know with degree. no safety net and somehow <laughs> I've ended up here. Um, I started importing wine when I was in, in Japan. Right. I came back to Australia. I worked for a bloke called um, Dan Saris and, and, and Rodney Adler. Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> and uh, in, in a beautiful place in the middle of Sydney. And then I went on to be a brand manager for a Mudgy winery. I lobbed up in South Australia looking for a cheap tree change in 2003. Yep. Uh, my wife and two children at the time. And... Um, started a, a, a distribution business and then that grew into a national distribution business and then I sold all that and then I joined Steve. Yeah. Steve and I have been mates for a very long time. Steve yep. Fiona and I have been friends for a very long time. Okay. Uh, and he was just finding that he needed somebody to help out and I said, well, I'll give it a go. And um, here I am. <laughs> and and what's your actual title? like? You know, oh, I hate it. I uh, never talk about it. I don't want to even show it on a business card. Really? There's not on the card. Okay, well, let's just call... I just call myself now Storyteller. I think that's okay. the best thing to do 
but yeah, I, I have to cover the entire business. So yeah, can, uh, yeah, from production own, to uh, like ordering barrels and making wine to getting out on the road and doing the whole thing, right? Well, even further, I'm now going to grow grapes. I never thought I'd have to do that. <laughs> oh, here before. we go. I, mean, I can now speak great. Um, <laughs> so I speak Japanese and great. Um, oh, I was going to uh, ask you that. So, you, you, of course, you'd have to speak Japanese if you're importing wine over there. I, I did, yeah. It's obviously it's getting pretty poor now, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do speak a bit of Japanese, and yes. Uh, so learning uh, learning how to speak grape, I now manage you know four <laughs> vineyards. Oh um, wow! Which I never expected to do. No. Um, and and it's really quite fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. Speak grape. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, can I extrapolate that then? Japan's one of your big export markets from from the business. You know, now? it's not. <laughs> we don't even spend wine there. Um, <laughs> I can't figure out why we can't. Um, probably because I'm, I'm just so um, the, the scorched uh, earth from, from when I you just, left. <laughs> no, no, no. They were all happy with me. They liked me. They, they invited me back. My oh, wife okay. went. And, my wife went and took two of my younger children, my two youngest children, and lived in Japan on secondment for Adelaide University. Oh wow! Uh, in 2019, and I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity. I'm going to go and just, I'm going to go and line it up. Well. I just spent all my time in, in the time whenever I visited in Kyoto looking at temples and forgot all about finding <laughs> yeah. in the So, um, okay. you know, that's what happens, I suppose. It's just life. But and- no, we don't. And we don't really export that much at all. We've got markets in the UK, US, Sweden, and a few little Asian markets. Yeah. Um, ticking along, but really most of our wine is sold here in, in Australia. Yeah, which is great. Um, yeah. I'm, I think that's fantastic. I, I, I want to keep all the good wine here and, and <laughs> hoard it all for myself. Um, actually, so we've got a listener, Kim, who listens uh, very much regularly and texts in. Uh, says, good morning, Richo. Could you please ask Steve, uh, sorry, can you please ask Tom where Steve is heading with Aussie Nebbiolo? Well, what do you think about Australian Nebbiolo and what are you guys trying to do with it, basically, is the question. Wow, that's a great question. It's a very good um, question. He's a good it one, It is a Kim. very good question. Yeah. It, Kim, the Nebbiolo is such an important grape variety for us because it, what we know or what Steve has learned from making Nebbiolo, he's applied to all these other words. Um, right. So the management of tannin, uh, the understanding of tannin uh, and its influence on uh, all aspects of winemaking and the finished product is, especially, well, obviously to red wine, most most particularly, but it, it's such an important grape variety to us. We purchased a vineyard in um, Gamaraca, which is in the Adelaide Hills in 2019, late 2019. Um, and we often say that, you know, signed on a Monday, on fire by Friday, because that's basically <laughs> oh, what gosh. happened. Oh, no. um, and the fires came out of the Cudley Creek National Forest, headed up yeah, around us, came back on yeah. us again. Um, we lost a little bit of vineyard, we lost a little bit of Chardonnay, but um, that just gave us the strength and courage to do what we thought was best there. And um, so we've removed a lot of grape varieties that were planted on this vineyard planted in 1999. Yeah. Uh, and we've replaced them with um, a bunch of uh, varieties like... Uh, more, lots more Nebbiolo, and um, I have Barbera and Dolcetto and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so it's a, it's a really special project. It's called Protero, um, and which was the original name of the vineyard as well. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, up until interesting, up until recently, it had a, a, a lovely couple on it who, who 
started the place. We bought it off them, but they were all fruiterers. They were fruiterers. So yeah, they okay. they had an apple orchard on there and uh, and had a wonderful fruit shop. And unfortunately, Frank Valdasso died earlier this year. Oh. Uh, and um, for one minute there, I thought I was going to become a fruiterer as well, <laughs> um, which, was, which was quite distressing because I didn't really want to get up at 4 a.m. and go to the no, fruit market. that's hard but, work, isn't it? No, I didn't want to do that either. But Nebbiolo is such an important grape variety to us. Yeah. And we've got uh, now we've got one, two, three, four, five, seven different clones now, all from the South election right. um, and we're really excited about what's uh, what's happening there. So Aussie Nebbiolo is, is a thing you know it's, yeah. it's got to be its own thing it's, it's the very early days of Aussie Nebbiolo and defining itself I think um, you know you've, you've, you've got to be careful about where you plant it you've got to, it doesn't translocate well um, but we seem to have found a good place for it in Kamaraka. It seems to like living there, and, and yeah, but it's just got a huge future, I think. Yeah, I mean, sort of hats off to guys like Luke Lambert, who were really pioneering that out of you know Victorian sites sort of ten, fifteen years ago. I think he maybe yeah. he worked over with Renato Ratti. I'm not sure, but he he just loved Nebbiolo. So I think he's doing some some very good stuff. Um, we were yeah, I, I used to work at uh, at Tarawara, and they grafted some. Some Nebbiolo across and some Barbera and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, that's where I sort of saw Steve at at work <laughs> uh, doing this magnificent blending thing that he does. Just like, like it was just a joy to watch. It's like he's he's born with this gift. I mean, I'm, I know he's honed his skills over years, but it's pretty good to watch, isn't it? Yeah, he, he, he was actually born to it, I think. Um, yeah, well, I guess he grew, to, grew up on a vineyard, I, I guess. Tries not to acknowledge his early life, really, no. but uh, <laughs> sometimes. But um, you know, and he never really wanted to be a winemaker, but right. it sort of it sort of happened to him. Uh, and, it happened to and, him. And and and, <laughs> and 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 wow, he's bloody good at it. I mean, you know, <laughs> sure the is. influence that he has over people is, is and 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 on you know over his course of his wine life has been quite extraordinary. He started playing with <laughs> wonderful stories. He started playing with Nebbiolo first when he returned from, after he um, left Hardy's as the chief red wine maker. Yes. He went and worked for Gidivira in um, Barolo. And there's a lovely story about them having no clue as to who he was. Um, right. You know, he was, you know, decanter, top 50 most influential winemakers, international red winemaker of the year, all these things. And they just <laughs> thought he was a seller hand, you know, and said, don't break anything. <laughs> Uh, and then someone, anything. someone recognised him. I don't know, if it was Stephen Spurry or something. I've never figured out who recognised him and told the Vira family, and they then immediately came and said, "Well, now you make everything." Right. Um, okay. And or they started with Riesling and Pinot, and I think that it went on to you know making most things. He still consults back to the Vira family really? today. Wow. Um, so when he returned from Italy uh, and said, "What am I going to do now?" That's when the SC panel brand was born in 2004 and the one of the first wines that he made was a Nebbiolo off the vineyard we now own right? and continued to make that wine off that Nebbiolo vineyard um, for up until we purchased it. So it was always under SC Pinnell. So, um, and that Vira connection has just continued to drive um, his understanding of Nebbiolo. I think he was at, most recently did the Len Evans tutorial and he actually was part of the masterclass that did the Nebbiolo tasting for all of those guys who do the Len Evans tutorial. I don't know if that, your listeners know who that is, but anyway. Yeah, no, they do. We've, we've, we've had a few guests on. Um, we had the uh, Andrea Pritzker who ducks it last year. Yes, and, of course, you know, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Um, um, so he has a great influence over people with what he's done. And one yeah. of the biggest ones is with Nebbiolo.
Yeah. Oh, well, well done to Kim for that question then. So, yeah, it's so, really good. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, no, he's good. Um, uh, so this is where I was going to go next, but Christopher, another listener of ours, has beaten us to it. So what makes Camellia Vineyard so special? He's a big fan of the wines from that vineyard. So, <laughs> uh, you know, these guys, they're all over it, mate, I'll tell you. Yeah, they are. That's cool. Um, Camellia is unique. I Well, I think it's unique. Uh, I'm a little bit emotionally invested in Camellia. Um, and uh, the work that we've done there in restoring and regenerating what I think is a truly special and unique place yeah. is, is what makes it, is what makes it everything. Um, it's a regeneratively run vineyard in, surrounded by native scrub uh, that we're slowly bringing back to uh, its original state um, we don't use any chemicals, systemic chemicals. We don't use any um, you know, uh, cultivation. Um, we manage our soil carbon uh, very much by using, um, uh, making sure our midrows are nice and full and undervine is nice and full of um, native grasses and, and, and other grasses. Yeah. Uh, we rely on beneficial arthropods in our bush. We have a biochar program. Um, you know, it's, it, all of that contributes to why Camellia is so special. It's a, it's an old, it's an ancient landscape. Um, Are we talking like Tintara, sort of Upper Tintara? Is that where it is? is that... It's in Upper Tintara, yeah. and it's right next to the original Hardy um, homestead block, right. uh, which is now owned by Andrew Hardy. Uh, uh, Ox Hardy, yeah. Ox Hardy, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's. Uh, it was planted the whole uh, sort of the, the original uh, Hardy homestead block was planted actually by a fellow called Dr. Alexander John Kelly in 1863, I think it is. Right. Um, and Kelly's just this guy that we've, we've probably forgotten about in history a little bit because um, his endeavours didn't turn out to be successful. He established a, a supply line directly with uh, the UK and his UK partner sent him broke and then he died. And then Hardy swooped in. Well, before he died, Hardy swooped in and bought it just before it went bankrupt. But um, it's a really special place to grow grapes. Um, The the land is good and uh, and lends itself to growing grapes. Um, And the preservation of the native scrub is is prescient. We We don't know why they did it. You know, anybody did it. Um, the problem that we have is the invasive species like olives and bone seed and um, other non-native species that are choking it, and we have to remove those virtually by hand. Right. Um, so here's another example. I never thought I'd talk to a bunch of farmers and tell them about um, biodiversity and what have you. I've had to do that recently, which was a really, really weird situation for me to have to talk about. You know, a guy with a sales and marketing background to talk to a bunch of farmers about biodiversity stuff. Weird. Um, but um, that's what's happened. Yeah. So Camellia is all of those things. It is, it is all about Shiraz, really. Um, it's, there's three separate Shiraz blocks. They're all pruned and managed to deliver about two tons to the hectare, so that's not very much. No, it's tiny. Um, and they produce truly incredible wines, um, full ripeness, uh, full flavour ripeness, at, you know, low bow maize. Um, and I think they kind of look like wines that you might have seen from McLaren Vale in the 1970s, which were, you know, just a little bit lighter of touch and mm. uh, a bit more delicate and pretty and what have you. And I think that's what we're trying to achieve in community. Yeah, a little more deft, I think, um, is how to describe it. And what's, yeah. what's with the bell? I see a bell on the bottle. What's, what's, <laughs> what's with the bell? 
Oh, look, that can get us into a little trouble. I mean, oh, when we think okay. about it, but no, not not a trouble. But when I have to talk about it, I always go, "Oh, I have a little cringe moment." Because while part of what we've done in preserving that piece of dirt yeah. is having to explore the First Nations people and their part in that part okay. of the world. Yep. Um, and Camellia is actually the name that Steve found on a bell when he was diving on off Buffleton Jetty as a child. Oh. Um, and he kept that bell and didn't know what it meant um, or anything. But then he found we found out later that Camellia is a, and I've forgotten his First Nations people now, but they're over in Port Lincoln, um, mm-hmm. and it's a word that means woman. But more importantly, that it was a ship's bell that lugged timber between Port Lincoln and Buffleton and back okay. again, right? So it was a steam lugger. Um, and there were a number of these ships that had... Um, um, First Nations names on them. Uh, and uh, so he just sort of thought, oh, I'm going to call this place Camellia because okay. it means something to me and my past and, and what have you. Probably what we didn't know at the time was that's probably not okay. Right. Um, being, but we do know now and we apologise for it most, uh, most, most preciously. Right. But um, well, with- Camellia is more about a connection to Steve to- and his- Early life and his early life, yeah. Um, because well, we've had the guys from Munda on the show, and we've had yeah, we've had some difficult conversations around that. And of course, yeah. you know, that's something we all have to come to terms with. Uh, and you know, I for one put my hand up and say, okay, I'm, I'm here to listen. Tell me, yeah. tell me, and 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 express your stories. And and it's a it's a really good place, a safe to find a. A safe place for people to to express that I think is a really good thing, um, and so you've also got a couple of really cool uh, blends uh, that that people seem to really love. So we've got a few <laughs> minutes left, uh, Tom. Just what about those sort of more like slurpy sort of Tariga blends and that sort of stuff? That's that's become pretty popular, hasn't it? Well, yeah, Tariga is a great great variety from McLaren Vale. Just it's, it's, I always say it's genetically predisposed to dealing with our heat. Well, when we get up to forty eight degrees in the middle of summer on some days, so. Um, it, it seems to like it. It's either a very stupid great variety or it's just ready <laughs> to deal with the heat because it's still got its leaves out, you know, over 40 degrees. And you go, what's that all about? Right. Um, but, you know, it, it has done that. Uh, in, you know, in its lifetime, you know, there's a variety from Madura and, um, you know, it, it's so suited. But I personally don't love it as a, as a varietal wine. I right. love it as a blended wine. Yep. Um, so we have a Tempranillo Chiriga blend that, that has been made. Wonderful story about that is that Steve um, first started making that after a visit to Bar Larinha in uh, Melbourne. In Melbourne, yeah. Um, Sam, he sort of set up at the bar and said, well, why can't I find an Aussie wine on here? And Sam said, well, I just haven't found one I like. Right. And so he said, right, well, I'll make you one. And he went back a year later and pumped that on the bed. I think that's been on the list since then, <laughs> which is really quite cool. That's cool, um, yeah. But it, it it was always inspired by the food uh, and that we love to eat and what have you and the way that it deals with our climate. And Tempranillo and Tariga are so cool in our climate. They really do love it. Yeah. Um, and they blend so beautifully together. So uh, Yeah, fabulous um, wines, yeah. Agreed. And then there's the GST after that, which is the Grenache Shiraz Tariga Nacional as well. So those are the two main blended wines now, I think, if I remember, other than the Vale, which is a Shiraz Grenache blend, which is the original blend of the region. Yeah. And, uh, and uniquely co-fermented. So you don't normally see that in Shiraz and Grenaches. They don't normally come to right yeah. at the same time. But no. these two blocks seem to do it, and yeah, you can cool. go from there. 
Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, sadly, we've come. Uh, time's come to a, to a close there, but uh, we'll have to get you back on the show next year, Tom, because there's plenty of things to chat about. I hope you have a lovely <laughs> Christmas, and thanks for joining us on the Wine Show Australia. Thanks, Richard. Thanks a lot, and thanks to your listeners.